is Thursday. RawMikeRichards.com broadcasting live from the DKI studios in downtown Toronto, 234 King Street East, out of the Pacific Junction Hotel. Coming up today, a great interview with the legendary Jerry Glanville. You don't think he's got stories? He's got stories. He'll be the defensive coordinator for the Hamilton Tiger Cats this year, along with his good friend June Jones. I think between uh, the both of them, they have coached together for about the last, well, I think the last time, uh, well, I think Lincoln, <laughs> Lincoln was shot during the show. It's going to be a very interesting year, and I would suggest a much better year for the CFL, as uh, I think the teams that struggled, including the Ticats, really underachieving in that first half of the season, literally the first half of the season was a throwaway. I thought Jeremiah Masoli looked good. They were 6-4 and four in their last 10. And I'll be honest, I think probably if you were looking at the playoffs last year, if the Ticats had managed to get in, I don't think you wanted to play them. Also, uh, Ron Francis, I don't know if it's a huge shock, but out in Carolina, of all the places, Dave, I think I'd like to live and play hockey. Carolina? Raleigh, just not the hockey part. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> like that is such a p- hard place to sell hockey. It really is. Even when they, I mean, to think that they have won a Stanley Cup is bizarre. And I guess with Ron Francis going out, uh, the change of ownership, Kermanis obviously gone. They start anew, but good luck trying to kickstart that thing. I think you had a better chance of watching Rita McNeil break ten in the hundred. Do you think she could do it? What do you think she'd clock in as? Well, not now. No? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm not referring to yeah, I, I'm not referring to it now. If they roll her down a hill, <laughs> like when you go out east, when you go to Magnetic Hill, maybe she'd that have a better... That came out wrong. That, that'd be faster. <laughs> otherwise, otherwise, uh, sign her up. I think more uh, of an offensive lineman, really, when you think about it. Probably like yeah. a guard. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Too short for a tackle. Yeah. You know, maybe guard center. You know what I mean? Can you imagine that as they're calling things like I can't get around her. <laughs> yeah. See if I want you to make that a replay. Huh? They're going upstairs. There you go. Coach saying, uh, the coach is challenging that the uh, offensive guard is too big. <laughs> Can we get rid of some of those replays? I swear to God, stop wrecking football. Stop wrecking football. It's the first thing that we do uh in I don't care what league you're watching. What's the first thing the announcer says? And no flags. Now all we do is look for flags. I'm hoping for a much better year all around, really, uh, when I think of uh, football in general. So uh, we'll talk about that today. Uh, never a bad thing to talk about football, unless, of course, the clip I'm going to show you from 1983. Remember, I've always said the same thing. As much as you, if you win a championship or your team wins, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a great and fantastic moment. But sometimes they're fleeting. What do you remember the most as an athlete? Your championships? Your victories? or the loss that is burned in your soul. There's two things that bother me in, 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 in all of sport. One of them, I, did, well, I was, I was a, a fan. So 1983 in the pass interference call on Gerald Bess, where the Argos win the Eastern Final. They go on and they play BC in 1983. That's the Cedric Minter uh, touchdown. That's right. So, so the Argos win the, uh, the Great Cup. That Conridge-Holloway-Joe Barnes yes. combo? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. But I was, and I will tell you the story when we get to it in 1983, which, uh, where you see uh, Dieter Brock. Yes. Not Ralph. No, he was Dieter at the time. You go to you, you maybe the, the, the switch. I'm like, well, what is it? Big number five. What is he? <laughs> oh, big is right. I don't think people realize that what a physical specimen he was. Throwing that that sidearm 
uh, cannon is, is really what it was. There was no mm-hmm. one, no one really liked that, including the time he goes down and plays for John Robinson's uh, L.A. Rams. The only problem with that is they didn't let him throw the ball as Ever. much with the Rams just because of 29 in the back. Dickerson. Dickerson right. Dickerson left. Dickerson right. And they, they go down, they had to play that uh, that Ditka Chicago team. Yes. Uh, and so right. the, that, you know, of all the timing. But to think of what he could have been, and look, they, they looked at him like he was an alien. He had the big sort of Alabama accent. And uh, when he said, when the, and he's, he's like 20 years older than all, he had blonde, he made his hair all blonde. He, he 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 freaked them out. I think the receivers were like Farmer. I think Farmer, okay, Brown. I think might have been on that year. And they're looking at him, and he's talking about how he played for uh, the Winnipeg Blue. Can you imagine hearing the Winnipeg Blue Bombers? What? He was also a former Ty Cat. Well, it's one of it's one of the biggest trades of my childhood when Dieter Brock was traded to Hamilton for Tom Clements. Uh, Tom Clements was my hero too. And Tom Clements was so good. I mean, like those are those are two All Star yeah. Hall of Fame quarterbacks. Middle yeah, of the season. Yeah. To me, I look at uh, Tommy, Unheard of. Tommy Clements, uh, Dieter Brock, and of course Doug Flutie for me. And I look at those three guys. Not to bypass a whole bunch of other quarterbacks because obviously we've seen what Anthony Calvillo did. But still, those three quarterbacks, man, that was that was an error. So we'll talk a lot about that today. Uh, uh, but again, uh, talking to uh, Jared Glanville is going to be uh, pretty cool. A lot of history there, including some history I, I think some people don't know about. I mean, uh, obviously the not for long uh, comment in the NFL. One of the best. Which was, uh, <laughs> one of the best. Well, it's legendary. And, and he is a legend. <laughs> I would think one of the more colorful personalities that you've ever seen on the sidelines in both NFL, NCAA, and now uh, in the King of Football League. So we'll uh, do that today. Uh, also, uh, what do we also want to get to with today? What did I have at the top of mind? Uh, oh, yeah. It was interesting. Yesterday, we played a clip of Rory McIlroy getting uh, heckled. And not in, a gent- not in a very gentle way. It was the t- uh, 2016 Ryder Cup. And so Mark Sakina, right? So he's covering the he's covering these events on a week to week basis. And I go, is it just me? Am I that naive to think that you know, especially a Ryder Cup where it's you know, as they would see it, us versus them, right? So it's the Americans versus the, them. That's how they see it. So if it's in the states, am I really that shocked that maybe some uh, booze hound, some guy who got loaded up, is going to make? But I really think the way that golf was, I never thought it really got that way. Here's Mark Sakina, our good friend from Golf Talk Canada, tweeting in this morning, two hours ago. Happening way too often these days. Too much drink. I see it almost weekly now. Wow. Weekly. And this is the same guy that's basically covering every single PGA Tour yeah. event weekly. Weekly. He's on the course for the four days plus the practice, and uh, he sees it all, hears it all, and he's he's within the fans because the, the actual whole commentators for PGA Tour Radio do not sit beside the actual player. They sit within the fans and the stands and area, and they kind of walk with, and they have the uh, – you probably see them in the crowd. They, they have the big uh, – big microphone earmuffs uh, that come straight across. Sometimes there's a handheld mic, but he's within the group, right? So uh, that's really too bad because golf used to be a very polite game where 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 none of this ever occurs. But, of course, when you when you put up a lot of people in one area and, and Boozy McCown decides to have yeah. a little too much, I guess that's what happens. And, look, the Americans are, are really way up too tight when it comes to the Ryder Cup anyway. And I, I just didn't really think that uh, – you know, there are goofballs who are going to scream, "Get in the hole!" Off the tee box. <laughs> Off the tee box. Yeah, I know. I know. Have you ever played? Like, have you ever played with the, the, those guys seriously? Like, yeah, I know. There's way too many cute little 
phrases that, that if you ever play with a guy and when they putt and it's short and they go, oh, I got a little little meat left on them bones. Oh yeah. Or uh, oh does does your husband play? <laughs> hilarious, I know. I hate uh, the oh. golfisms. I hate the sayings. Oh, I know. It's uh, brutal. But anyways, uh, if you missed it yesterday, here is uh, really some stunning footage by, I think the guy who's, who's heckling is also filming himself, just so you can see for yourself. This is what I'm talking about. This is what Mark Zucchino is saying is happening now on a weekly basis. No, huh? Peters, you're so small. So small. Coming up short. That's why it wasn't like you left your ass. Suck a dick, Rory. Suck a dick. Yep. Yeah. There it is. Yeah. 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 Wasn't me, man. Yeah. See, so that that was from uh, that was from yesterday. Big loser. Like, what's the? I mean, look at a football game. Do I think that people are gonna? Yeah. At a football game, you're nine miles away from the players. You're with uh, it's that horde mentality. Mm-hmm. Uh, have I said the odd uh, salty phrase? I, I, I can't see yeah, that. Yeah, I can't yeah, see you that. know, especially if uh, the bet's going sideways. <laughs> if the bet's going sideways, you just empty the stadium because <laughs> something bad's going to happen. Uh, but but to me, if that's the state of golf, uh, you know, like would you do it in tennis? Because tennis, same kind of thing. Although you'd never see either one of us sitting here at a tennis match no. because I just uh, no. I, I hate tennis. Tennis and I are not friends. We were friends when McEnroe played Bork way back then. That's a long time. It's a ago. long time ago. Yeah, you haven't been friends for a long Since time. Since then, we broke up a long time ago. Yep. Yeah, and you're don't not even talk. Yeah, we're not getting back either. No. Hey, did you see the match last week? Is this tennis? Didn't. Yeah, well, we got it there. It's five hours. Yeah, I don't tennis. I told you. <laughs> don't call here again. We're not getting back. Yeah, but did you see Roger Federer. Yeah, I saw the guy with the headband. We're not getting back. That's the reason why. Headband, champagne, too many consonants. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. You tire me out. You're watching rawmikerichards.com, either on the website or... Tennis would be a lot more exciting if it was football. Yeah, just change the rules a little bit. Get more guys. (laughs) Get some helmets and a football and a goal line. I'm just saying. Yeah, I'm just saying, too. Uh, We're now, as we head into March, of course, March Madness is coming up, so it will be betting aplenty. Yeah, like it's not now. By the way, uh, Virginia Tech... Well, did you forget the rules of the game halfway through the second half yesterday? Oh, my God, did you suck. I mean, terribly. Uh, but also the time of year, Dave, where I think that uh, uh, young Russell is happy because uh, the word is, is this still, uh, as you announced it yesterday on the show, we're, mm-hmm. we're seeing Austin Matthews back. So, Breaking uh, news, I know. So, Russell, as we go to the Russ Cam, the, we say the, the largest Leaf fan in the world. That's fair. Who normally has the largest Leaf hat. I noticed you're going hatless today. Is that you're just more rugged, or because you uh, got? A, yeah, I see you got the playoff beard going that you've been growing for the last. That's uh, true. He's ready. Three, couple three of years. months. Oh, uh, I was going to say two years. That's yeah. sweet. So, are we excited about Austin? Are you doing something special? Well, I haven't seen the news this morning. Is it any different from yesterday? Or no, 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 it hasn't. No, doubtful well, for Saturday against the Penguins. But if he's skating. It usually means that he's probably four or five practices away from the real deal, right? Excitement! Yeah, I'm not expecting him to play Saturday. Uh, I'm going to the game next week in Buffalo, so I'm hoping he's at that one. Uh, But at the end of the day, I'm just hoping he comes back when he's ready to come back. I'd rather him be 100% healthy for the playoffs than 
come back too early in the regular season. Let me just ask you something. Let's just say uh, you go up to a ski resort, Ooh. you know, like you and your mom. And um, is he wearing a turtleneck? And he's in the in a hot tub in the communal hot tub, and no one else is there. Would you go up and introduce yourself, and then slink into the hot tub, or would you just you just right in the hot tub? Don't say anything. Which, which would you do? I'm curious. I might introduce myself and then not go in the hot tub if it's just him. Interesting. I think you're lying. I, I, yeah. I, I think you're lying to me. No, I think he's introducing himself. I think you high five. Off come the swim trunks. Woohoo! <laughs> exactly. Woo! <laughs> uh, another question for Rusty before we uh, stop his music. Over under on amount of playoff games the Leafs will play as a whole. I'm putting at six. Do they go over or under that total of six playoff games? No, let's go five and a half. Five and a half. So over right, under so, five and a half. I'm going to say over five and a half. Because <laughs> I think either way, Boston and Tampa are going to be very tough, regardless of which one they play. Uh, but I think in either series, whether they win or not, I'm not saying they will. But <laughs> okay, that's I my second question. I think they're going to at least six, maybe a seventh My game. second question is over under playoff games, seven and a half. Over yeah. or under? Because that's the key. That's the, that's key. the key right See, here. It's always, it's always the second question that's tougher than the first. Yeah. That's how we play the game. As a fan, I'm saying over. As someone, if I was placing money on it, I might say under. Well, if you want to oh. win, you'd say under, right? Yeah, that's, but there uh, boy, I'll tell you. Thanks, sir. Uh, that was great. That's tr- <laughs> tremendous stuff, ladies and gentlemen. Although, I mean, look, uh, this is almost, and I hate to say it, but if I'm looking at the progression of the Maple Leafs, where I think they should be, this is a bridge year again, don't you think? Yep. Like, unless I really believe that this is a championship team. Do I think that this is a Stanley Cup team? No, I don't. Is there possibility down the road? Because I think it's still a, a work in progress. I would say when you, when, when you get itchy as a Leaf fan, I think it's next year is where you want to see some expectation. True. But that means you're going to see a couple new faces, Dave. You're going to see a lot of new faces, yeah. actually, because yeah. there's going to be some moving in the offseason. You might even see a brand new general manager because there's a lot of reports that say Lou Lamorello will not be back for next year, which would kind of be sad because when you break down what he's done, I think he's done a lot more good than bad, but I guess we'll have to see what happens with the Toronto Maple Leafs. But uh, decisions have to be made. Uh, guys have to be re-signed. When there's money taken from the pot, somebody usually has to leave. Does that mean they're trading one of their younger players? Are they trading somebody else? Are they dumping a Matt Martin? Are they? I mean, there's a lot of different ways to kind of figure this out, but there's... Uh, there's a lot to be had with the Toronto Maple Leafs. We'll have to see what happens. Just quickly with their schedule, Mike. So uh, it, it, they have had an off week uh, as far as not really playing much. They lost in Buffalo on Monday, as we know. It's Pittsburgh on Saturday. Then they have another three days off before they play Dallas at home. Then Buffalo the next night. Montreal Canadiens uh, on the 17th, which is the following Saturday night. So Dallas after Pittsburgh. Dallas, Buffalo, Montreal, very winnable games outside of the Dallas Stars. Yeah, the Dallas Stars are a weird team to follow, too. Mm-hmm. I think in the first year where Jim Neal goes down there, they kind of they kind of overachieve. Yep. Then they're brought down to earth. So this year I'm a little uh, unsure of what I think about Dallas. But, but the West is always that way, right? I mean, if you didn't know any better and you're a third-party observer from, like, I don't know, Mars, and you took you take a look at the Golden Knights and go, 
Obviously, they're the best team in the world. I mean, uh, hey, uh, I, yeah. By the way, last year they didn't exist. <laughs> they didn't exist. They weren't even around. No, exactly. Like I've never seen anything like this. Never anything like this. Uh, speaking of things that I've never seen before, I'm going to before we get to Jerry Glanville, who, by the way, uh, the new uh, DC for the uh, Hamilton Tiger Cats, along with his uh, longtime uh, coaching partner June Jones. Uh, it's going to be very interesting in Hamilton this year to see what they do. But uh, as a uh, Tomcat fan who's been going to the game since uh, the picture that I have that I've shown on, on Twitter with my dad was 1971. 1971 on the front page of the spec. Uh, that's when they would have the uh, home and home when you know the Eastern Western finals. Yep. They were two games, which still freaks people out. If you talk to someone from the States, they're like, what do you mean? Well, you know how you'd have like the AFC championship? Right. Well, you play once there, and then and then and next week you play back. It's a, it's a home and home. That's crazy. Like it is. It is nuts. It is crazy. And then they tried to bring it back for a while, and then that faded out because there were some crazy games. The year that the, the Ticats beat Edmonton. So what was that? Eighty. Oh, I'm trying to think of what Great Cup that was. They come back and they they have the miraculous comeback at uh, Exhibition Stadium. Mike Kerrigan oh. was the quarterback. Yep. And they had a huge lead because it's an just like just like Champions League. There's an aggregate score, so the Ticats get lit up at either win. They're down by like thirty points, and just like it does happen, snowballs on the field, kind of a weird lackluster game. The moment the ball gets snapped over Hank Elisic's head, and he has to go and take a safety, it just it just it just spiraled out of control. Dwight Edwards was playing for the uh, for the Argos at that point. Okay. Uh, anyway, the, why do these things stick with me? Okay, I'll tell you why. So 1983 was a time where there wasn't great coverage aside from CBC. The way the CFL worked back then, and this is why a generation, at least a generation of fans, never got to see or got into the game, is because the games were blacked out. I hated that. Too. They would black out the games, and there wasn't even like a blackout rule where if it was sold out. you know. So at this point in 1983... There's going to be a, a, an Eastern Conference final game between the Ticats and the Argos. I'd die to see it, but it's not going to be on TV. You could get it if you had channel, uh, whatever it was, and, and watch Peterborough, but you could only see it if you were in Peterborough because it was blacked out in the Toronto area. So I go to see my buddy, Murray Giffen, who's at Trent University, obviously in Peterborough. <laughs> now, by the way, there's a long story to this. I was pulled over by the police at once. I had orange oven mitts on my feet. Got into a bit of a car accident, got into a bit of a fight. But on the Sunday, I actually get a chance to see this game. And who plays in this game? It's what Dave talked about. The year 1983, on the Argo side, you have Condridge Holloway and Joe Barnes, and you have Dieter Ralph Brock. This is Exhibition Stadium, property of the Canadian Football League. But this is one of the great yet most hurtful moments. But just get a load of This is Pat Marston doing the play-by-play of this. This is remarkable. First and five, Hamilton from the Toronto 41-yard line. Rock going deep to a wide-open Shepard. Touchdown, Hamilton. Johnny Shepard. What a beautiful pass right on the money to Johnny Shepard. Love those unis. They look good. Hamilton fans in the stands here as you saw their reaction. Johnny Shepard just a little out and up down the sidelines. They fooled the Argonaut coverage. 
Not able to get over in time. Donnie Shepard, 41 yards into the end zone. I think that shows you how Dieter Brock's back is feeling. He put that ball right on the money. And see, that was the time where Dieter Brock actually had that. That was the issue he had almost his whole career. Yep. What was was the back? Uh, those were the great unis. And by the way, the voice of Leif Pedersen, the late great That's true. Leif yep. Pedersen. So this is as the game is winding down, and I am sweating like a pig and drinking a lot. I'm out in Peterborough at a frat house. And when I mean a frat house, what you imagine a frat house to be, that's kind of how it is. For breakfast, we had cake and bacon and booze. Yes. But Three good things. Now, I'm waiting for this moment. What's weird, you're going to hear names like Harold Ballard because, of course, he owned the team. Him and King Clancy used to go to the games. They, used, they, they created a trophy between the two teams. And as the game starts to wind down, I'm thinking the Ticats are going to win this thing until this moment. This has been something. I'll tell you, I don't know if he's close to you, but Harold Ballard, the owner of the Ticats, and King Clancy must have gone crazy. Ballard's already said as far as he's concerned, this is his Grey Cup game. But if he should, by any chance with the Cats, make it to the Grey Cup, look out Vancouver next week. I don't think the town's big enough for Harold. <laughs> that was Bill Stevenson, by the way, talking there. From the 35, Covington appeared to be outside. There is no flag down. Pass for Townsend is... Very nearly picked off. Now let's see, we're going to have an interference call against two. Will it be against Gerald Best or will it be against Jeff Thompson? I'm losing my mind. Oh, this is a critical play. There is a penalty flag back at the line. Of That's pass interference. That Covington jump. You be the judge. Of course, now the coaches can throw a flag and challenge. Like, who has the better position on this play? Offside. Hamilton number 77. The fly. Forward pass in the first. Hamilton number 14. First down. Brutal. Interference gives Toronto possession at the Hamilton. Okay, here it comes again. Watch this. Is this pass interference? Look at it. Jeff Townsend working against Gerald Best. And Best has his back to the football. Yeah, thanks a lot. Ooh. 1983, have never let it go. Jake Ireland, was he? Was <laughs> oh, he Jake, the, oh, yeah, Jake was. was. <laughs> Jake was. Jake Ireland, of course, was the, was the official. They, they show that on Channel 4 in Buffalo. They said, apparently in the Canadian Football League, this is pass interference. And they show it on, mm. the, on, their, on their sports broadcast, which Hate led that. to even more drinking, Dave. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, but that's the way it goes. I think we all have stories like that. We do. What is the, as a fan, just uh, moments before we call uh, Jared Glanville, legendary coach, now the defensive coordinator of the Hamilton Tiger Cats, what is the the worst? That was one of the worst I ever had as a kid, being a fan of the team. Mm-hmm. My worst moment, and it's not, uh, you know, you have you have football moments. You know, the trading of Dieter Brock wasn't very good when the Bombers actually traded him. But when you got back, what you got see, back... That was, was that was equal pain because it, the same thing, Tommy Clemens going about rip my heart out. Yeah, so you know what you're getting back, but you also know what you're losing. So, uh, Like, it's a weird trade. What is the equivalent trade in hockey? Right now, just so people understand, is it... Because you can't say Crosby for McDavid because the, the age is, is no, too different. No, it These would, guys are similar ages. It would be, it would be almost like... Uh, I was going to say McDavid for Matthews. But I, I think that's one-sided favoring the Leafs because they're getting McDavid back. But you're almost like uh, the equivalents. Uh, Is it line A, Matthews? 
yeah, but then Toronto would sit there and say, oh, you're, we're giving away this, but meanwhile you're getting the best score in the NHL. It, it, yeah, that wasn't a very uh, complimentary impression, I think, of uh, of a Leaf fan. Is that what that was? <laughs> it was a Leaf fan. My, my <laughs> moment in sport that I'll remember as a kid is, and, and this will not surprise you, a series against the Calgary Flames, Winnipeg Jets in the 80s. Dale Howardchuk cuts through center ice, moves in past the blue line, tries to get around Jamie McCowan, and Jamie McCowan sticks Dale Howardchuk with a full cross-check into the ribs and breaks his ribs. Howardchuk leaves the game. He's out the remainder of the playoffs. They end up beating the Flames, but get swept by the Edmonton Oilers in the next round. That's the memory I'll always remember of what if Dale Howardchuk was part of that series against the Edmonton Oilers. And once again... Just saying, just saying. The name Dale Howardchuk... Weird, eh? ...makes it to uh, the show. It does. We'll be looking for Jerry Glanville, the new defensive coordinator for the Hamilton Tiger Cats, here on Ron Mike Richards. Looking forward to this. The legend. Hello. I'm looking for the legendary Jerry Glanville. It's Mike Richards calling from rawmikerichards.com. Let me see if I can find him. <laughs> I don't know if he's in the building. Yeah, he left like Elvis, did he? <laughs> he left the building. Well, I'll tell you what, Jerry, if uh, if there is one place that's been overlooked where Elvis just might be to pick up those tickets, it just might be Hamilton, Ontario. Well, I hope so, because you know what I love about the the, the stadium is named after uh, uh, Horton, right? Yep, that is correct. Well, I was in Canada. I pulled into Hortons, and I got me a Canadian croissant. It was the best croissant. It beats anything I ever had in France. <laughs> uh, what about biscuits? I don't know if there's a whole bunch of biscuits and gravy, though. Are you going to miss that on the diet? Yeah, unfortunately, where I live, uh, biscuits and gravy is uh, you know, recommended by every doctor three times a day. <laughs> <laughs> Jerry, it's great to have you on the show. I know uh, for a lot of fans, we're really looking forward to uh, seeing what's going to happen up here in the CFL, particular, obviously, for the Hamilton Tiger Cats. And, you know, I take a look at, uh, you know, some of the challenges that, that, that maybe people have. But I guess in reality, Jerry, when I look at your career, you're not much of a, a coach who brings a, a, a blueprint or a template that you use over and over again. I think you're more of a coach that probably takes a look at his athletes, what he's got at hand, and you sort of develop a defense around that. It's funny you say that because we had the number one defense, as you probably know, in National Football League at five different clubs, and we never ran the same defense at either one of them. Because your players, um, I'm a guy I will not put my players in position that they cannot win at. And uh, people think, uh, geez, Jerry Glanville has full press bump and run all over the field. Well, I did when I had Deion Sanders and McKire because those two corners at full press bump and run had 26 picks in one year. But in the 77, which we hold every record in, in the league, my corners were nine yards off. They couldn't play dead. So, uh, you know, you want to catch 11 outs in front of them, go ahead and throw it. Uh, you weren't getting over the top of so. We'll adjust. My good assistant coaches up there that I've talked to on the phone, I'm going to meet with them next week. We're going, we're going up to Hamilton next week and put the whole scheme in and talk to But my question, which each coach, I say, what what is the strength of this defensive guy? Mm-hmm. Uh, can he do this? No. Can he do this? No. Can he do this very well? 
that that's where this scheme will end up with what the guy can do. If you're if you're a hard ball, this is my scheme, this is what you gotta do, you're always chasing players that fit into your scheme. Uh I'm not in the personnel department, so I'm gonna look at our players and whatever our players do, we're gonna get them to excel at what they do best and not ask them to do something they can't do. I went to Buffalo one time, a guy said we want to be full press bumping right corner. My corners couldn't run out of a girdle, let alone run on a football field. Uh, so you get your butt beat. You know, we, we won't allow that. That's interesting. Jerry, I have to ask you, you know, you were a guest coach with the Ticats last season, uh, and, and you, you brought it up in a couple of different interviews that I saw. How much of a factor does that coaching-wise, that one yard between the offense and defense, how much of a factor does that allow you as a defender uh, to kind of figure out this offense? It's a big difference, isn't it? Well, what, and it's hard on the offense, too. Uh, I think they did it to help the offensive line, but I'm not sure that it didn't backfire. Because if I'm off a yard, it's it's called a stick. I can start up uh, over the tackle, and with that yard off, I may slam all the way down and pick the center to bring somebody else around. Uh, I think they tried to help the offensive line, but I think they may have made it tougher on the offensive line. But I, what I call long stick blitzes, blitzes that come from a distance, uh, they, that can be sorted out too. So I don't think that works. Uh, you know, uh, at, at uh, Atlanta Falcons one year, I brought the I brought the free safety a bunch, but I brought them from depth. Well, I think if you bring your say your secondary people, your deep people, uh, the line can sort that out and see that coming. I think that's a disadvantage. So uh, I think any pressure that we come on them will be what I call. Instamatic. Uh, the pressure has to be right now. We can't be talking about it. We can't be bringing about uh, bringing it out of left field. We got to bring it now because uh, one thing I studied the quarterbacks in Canada, they bring the ball out. None of the quarterbacks hold the football, so you have to build that in your defensive scheme. If I can get a quarterback to hold the football, I can I can do all kinds of things. I can draw plays with a bar of soap on a mirror. But when the ball comes out, then you have to, uh, you know, we were the only guys that beat Bill Walsh twice a year when, when Bill Walsh was at the 49ers. And the reason I figured that out, I could blitz a guy free and nobody ever touch him, and the ball was still out. You didn't get to the quarterback. So you have to adjust, you know, how that quarterback brings, brings the ball out. My whole life, my whole life on my tombstone, I tried to make quarterbacks' lives, punters' lives, and field goal kickers' lives miserable. I don't want them to have one play where they said, well, that was nice. That was easy. Every single snap, we try to uh, uh, make the quarterback, the punter, and the field goal kicker earn his pay. Interesting. And then Cat fans look forward to that. Can you tell us about your relationship with June Jones? You guys have coached at the NCAA, NFL. He was a quarterback for you. You guys just seem to work out really well, and you're, you're about to start a new campaign with the Ticats. Why Why have you guys collected? What's What's the secret to your success so far? It's kind of funny. He was, he was my assistant uh, a couple of places, did not want to come, and you'll die laughing. I called him up. I said, uh, uh, I need you here tomorrow. He goes, well, I'm, I'm fine where I am. I goes, your ticket's at the counter. I'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> and uh, by the way, he showed up twice. We beat everybody. Now I'm going to North Dakota. I'm going to schools trying to hire me. And I get a call. Uh, I need you over here in Hawaii. 
I goes, well, they offered me the head job over in this North. He goes, the ticket's at the counter. I'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> he put it right back on me. Uh, by the way, in Hawaii, what a what a run. Uh, I mean, uh, only June Jones could do what we did in Hawaii. Only June Jones could do what he does. Uh, in Hawaii, you die laughing. We, we played Pete Carroll at Southern Cal. He had 29 guys who are going to be drafted. And uh, I told June, we're, you know, I says, we're, we're going to shut these guys out. He goes, well, what are you smoking? I goes, no, uh, we're going to shut them out. Well, June gets the football and keeps it for the whole first quarter and then throws a pick that's run back for a touchdown. And so I walked by June on the sideline. I goes, well, there goes my shutout. We're not even in the game yet. Well, about the third quarter, they got us by about 50. And he walked by and he said, I guess that pick wasn't a big deal, was it? <laughs> so people would be shocked if they knew what we said, what we do on the sideline in a game to each other, to each other. We're in conversation. Uh, one time we were coaching in Cleveland in the playoffs, and we had a death threat. And everybody, of course, knows when you got a death. Whenever I wore that high plains drifter jacket, we had a death threat, and I had body armor on and all that. Well, no player or no coach comes near you for the whole game. And finally, finally, we're going to win the game. And it's right at the end. And June now says, he comes up, he goes, this is the greatest win ever. Beat Cleveland and Cleveland in the playoffs. And somebody from the upper deck throws an apple and hits him right in the back. And he drops on the ground. He goes, they got me. They got me. I goes, no, it's just an apple. Get back up. <laughs> uh, we're talking to Jerry Glanville here on RawMikeRichards.com, picking up on, uh, look, and, and funny, Jerry, you say people couldn't imagine what gets talked about on the sidelines. I think some people can't imagine maybe what happens <laughs> talks on the sidelines when it comes to Jerry Glanville. What, and what about your good friend, uh, Mouse Davis? You know, it's funny you talk about uh, Hawaii and, 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 and the way that that team was, that 05-06 team that you had. Uh, Colt Brennan had just a, a, a spectacular career out there in Hawaii. Uh, Mouse Davis is another longtime uh, coach and, and friend of yours. Just about everything you see, for instance, you've probably seen Alabama win the game uh, at the end. Uh, with what's called the pass run divide. Well, there's a kid in Alabama who played in Hawaii, and he threw that pass. Moss Davis invented that pass. Moss Davis invented a lot of things that everybody does. I was the first people to run the shotgun four wides and run shotgun, not on third and long. And they, they thought they were going to have to kick me out of the league. They didn't know if it was legal. Uh, uh, you know, so uh, Moss, very innovative, very smart, very intelligent. Uh, June learned a lot from him. Uh, I sort of added the running game to June. Uh, I, I didn't want to play frisbee ball. I wanted to. I wanted to. You know, you probably forget Smash Mouth football. That name came from our Houston other team. Uh, yet we were four whites uh, in a shotgun in the term Smash Mouth football. Because uh, you know, when we run the football, I tell I tell everybody, uh, don't solve every problem with a new pass pattern. Solve some problems by breaking some freaking noses. And uh, that's what we added really to, to Mouse Davis's package. Jerry, I'm a huge fan of uh, NFL films. And, and to this day, even here in 2018 and while we speak, I could probably find the legendary clip that you have 
chewing out an NFL official saying NFL stands for not for long if you keep on making those bleep calls like that. What do you remember about that game? And did you ever think that once you said that, that you you and I or you and a media member could be talking about it decades later? Well, it's unbelievable. It sort of got a life of its own and it made yes. the official so famous. We travel all around the country uh, giving speeches about it. Here he couldn't even officiate. Now I made him a millionaire. But uh, the week before, we played the Broncos in Denver. And Elway went off on a scramble. And I had a great linebacker named Johnny Meads. And we went over there, and he pulled off of Elway. And Elway went straight forward, went knee high, and blew Johnny Meads' knee. So we're trying to protect Elway, and Johnny Meads goes to surgery. Well, the next week we're in Tampa, and I said, if that quarterback scrambles, protect yourself, send in the surgery, not yourself. Well, lo and behold, the quarterback took off running, and, and a guy named Robert Lyles, another uh, outside lineman, went after him, and, and here come the flag. And I said, who is that official? I never saw him. He was a college official's first year. The Vanderbilt uh, Wake Forest game where they're not allowed to hit. And then I got upset at him. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jerry, the one thing I do know that uh, upon coming to the Ticats, uh, you've got uh, Orlando Steinauer, you know, Coach O's, they call him, is there. And I think, uh, you know, at least uh, from what I see and, and how you've coached over the years, that you do uh, rely on, on conversations with, with the guys that are, are surrounding you. Because the fear always in Canada is uh, when uh, someone doesn't have CFL experience, regardless of the resume coming from the States, they're always afraid that they don't understand the nuances of the game. But the fact is, when you have someone like uh, Steinauer behind you, I know you're going to use them. In fact, you know, as you said, you've been up to camp in 2017. It's not like you haven't been watching the games. It's not like you haven't been doing your own sort well, of... You, you, you should have been with me. My first three days in camp, and I, and I thought I couldn't coach anymore. My first three days where I was visually trying to stop uh, the offense that, the, the, that they were running, I never figured it out for three days, and I never stopped the play, just exactly what your fans say. And I, and I thought, my God, people think I'm an innovator and inventive football. I can't stop anything. And the fourth day, it clicked on how I could change what we did in the United States to make that package work in Canada, I had to make some corrections and some changes. And the fourth day, I finally went up to the head coach and I said, I finally stopped in some place. I finally figured. But for three days, I was the worst coach in Hamilton that they've ever had <laughs> until I figured out uh, what I had to do. These receivers that are back there and running at the line yeah. and switch routes, they switch. They It's called a switch. They're switching positions before they ever get the line of scrimmage. Well, what I learned, my, you and me are DBs. We have to be on different levels to combo this. We, you and I both can't be at seven yards. We're going to knock each other off. I, it's all about different levels in Canada, uh, whether you're on the wide receiver, the second wide receiver, the third wide receiver. And uh, that took me three days. It took me three days. And, and my, my first three days, I told the coaches, I don't think I coach anymore. This, this thing's wide open. I do believe this. I believe if you can stop Canadian offenses, you can come back to the U.S. and kick their butt. Interesting. 
Well, you know, and I, I don't disagree. I mean, I think some of the, you know, when you look at the uh, sort of read options and what you see uh, a lot in, in, in uh, you know, I guess Chip Kelly to a degree, uh, you know, made his name in Oregon and so on. But I think a lot of those, 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 those quarterback option plays, I mean, they've been running up here for a very long time, which I think has been implemented south of the border. But I, it goes back to my original thought, which is football may sort of uh, change from year to year, but really it's an old game and variations of, uh, of stuff that's been done before. I think it's just a, a, a matter of being imaginative when you're a coach. And you, when you say this is what I do, this is our offense, goodbye, that's the end of it. You have to have nuances that change, that, that, that make the defensive people, if you're coaching offense, uh, on defense, uh, you know, if they know you bring the will every time there's an ace week, uh, uh, they're smart enough that pretty soon they're going to be running something over there. Uh, I'm a guy that knows the RPO. I know RPO football. Uh, I know if I walk, if I walk the linebacker out on two, and you're a bubble screen team, I know I'll make you check out of the bubble screen. So I, I'm a guy that will control the offensive play because I'll show you something you can't do. You're going to run weak, and I know you're a weak running team out of the set. I'll build a four-man side over there, and guess what? They'll audible and run the, all, the other way. So that's the fun for me. Uh, it doesn't matter. This is what I tell everybody. I tell every college professor I ever worked for. It doesn't matter what I know. It doesn't matter my intelligence. That will not win us a game. What matters is what I can teach. And I told every college that ever hired me, he goes out and the president said, how should I introduce you? I said, introduce me as the best professor on campus, the best teacher you ever saw. Because that's who I am. We'll, we'll teach and we'll get our players going. I, I love the assistant coaches that I talk to. I think they'll be a big plus for us. Uh, they've got experience in the league. So I'm going to say, this is what I want to do. And it's up to them to say, that won't work here, coach. you got to modify that and you got to modify that. Well, show me why it won't work. Well, if they show me, we'll modify it. We'll do something else. Interesting. Jerry, I've always liked your wardrobe. Uh, hell, I'm wearing a black shirt uh, in honor of this interview. Are you, are you going to be Great. Are you going to be willing, wearing full black on the sidelines? Are you going to be easy to spot as you were in the NFL as well? <laughs> well, the beauty of it is is at least the team's colors are black. Yes, so I'm back exactly. in our team. With the now, when I wore black at uh, Houston, which we were powder blue, I once said to the owner, Bud Adams, they said, our powder blue uniforms are the ugliest thing I've ever seen. we got to change those. I said, where'd you get that color? And Bud Adams looked at me and says, my wife picked that color because it was the same color as my eyes. I said, well, it ain't that bad of blue, you know. <laughs> Uh, uh, hey, also, too, uh, Coach, am I going to find you, like, just down the road from Hamilton is a place called Cayuga. They got a speedway. Am I going to be catching you the odd time in a weekend in a car? What's going on with that? You're kidding. <laughs> they have a speedway? Yes, they do. Yes, sir. Well, I guess, guess what I'm driving right now. I wish you two were with me. Guess what I'm driving? Uh, Mustang. I'm in my Shelby Cobra. Yeah, my Shelby there Cobra. Yeah, there you yeah, go. Absolutely. Six-speed. 603 horsepower, <laughs> and let the big dog eat, man. <laughs> How about this? Way, way, way back, June Jones and I, we'd work at 2, 3 in the morning, and we'd race home. Oh, and geez. June drives like I do. People don't know that. And we would race home, and we're going in Houston, going over railroad tracks at a very excessive speed. And then right when it came to where he turned off and I turned off, then we are run by ourselves. So I'm running home about two or three in the morning and bam, all the lights come on and they got radar out there oh, at no. three in the morning waiting for me to cross the bridge. 
And the poor cop comes up. He goes, we heard about you running out there like that. That's why we set the radar up. I goes, at 3 in the morning. He goes, yes. I goes, why would you do that? And he says, well, what would you do if a little kid ran out in the road and you ran over and killed him? I said, at 3 o'clock, he ought to be run over. He should be in damn bed. <laughs> Hey, Jerry, thanks so much for taking the time to join us. I'm really looking forward to uh, what uh, we can expect to see uh, with the Ticats. I know players like Simone Lawrence, who uh, I know is just can't wait to get on the field. I know he, he puts out on Twitter and the guy's working out like mad because you do have one motivated team, and there's no question in the second half of last year uh, that Hamilton Tiger Cat team played some some. Well, the way I'd put it, Jerry, is they were very professional in the second half of that year. They didn't let it get away from them. They came out like pros. And I think if they made it to the playoffs, I think people would not have wanted to play this team. So the fact that you've got that kind of motivation from the players, a little bit of a chip on their shoulder, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing, Jerry. Well, I I, I love the players when I was up there. I've talked to some of them because they were in a contract dispute. I talked to the linebacker, and I talked to some players and. Uh, I, they're all excited because uh, I told the linebacker, this is your new assignment. This is what you do. This is what you do. And the linebacker, who, who I guess was with the Vikings, I don't know how long, he goes, stop, coach, stop. I goes, why? He goes, I just learned more football in an hour and a half phone conversation than I've ever learned in my life. Hmm. And I goes, well, this is what you're going to do. And I said, "You, I will not ask you to do the shift up when we shift from a 4-1 uh, from a 4-2 to 5-1, I am not letting you shift up because the coaches that are there told me you're the guy that should stay back. Now, if I don't have good coaches with me, I may sh- I may be shifting the wrong guy. Right. So uh, it's all going to work out. The biggest thing is we will have fun, and you only have fun in football when you win. Well, that's uh, all about winning. That, that's exactly it. Jerry, thanks so much for joining us. I'm sure we'll catch up uh, with you again sometime during the year. Maybe we'll find some barbecue in Hamilton because I know they got some barbecue there. Yep. And they got some places in in, uh, in Hamilton. They got some good barbecue. I, well, I, I, I tell you what, once you live in Texas, you, uh, you don't eat much Mexican food unless you're in Texas. <laughs> but uh, you can find good barbecue in Canada and the States. But we are fussy with our Mexican food. Everybody's lived in Texas. It's pretty dang fussy when they bring out the, uh, the Mexican food. It better be real good, brother. <laughs> Jerry, you take care. Thanks so much for joining. Thanks, best, Coach. Best of luck this season, too. All right. Adios. <laughs> Jerry Glanville, oh. the legend uh, on there. With uh, Look, those are just a, a portion of the story. i got to play this. I'm going to play some music for him here. Play him out, exactly. I was... Jerry Glanville, talking about them stories about outrunning the police. But he does make a really good point, and uh, it's one that I do know about him, which is that that template that some coaches just can't let go in certain sports. They've, they have a resume of success, and they're coming to run what they have always run. So it looks kind of predictable. As they get older, you know, they kind of fall back on sort of a default. He's not that guy. And when he is being honest, saying that, you know, those first three days where he's just kind of going, I don't, I don't know if I can do this. Yeah, I, it's a I, different world. I don't have a handle on this. He was not lying. And then the fourth day, sort of the, the clouds uh, separate. A light comes out. He sees the, he sees the light. He sees the light. Uh, I'm really looking forward to the season because I think if anything. Yeah, I uh, could start today as far as yeah, I'm concerned. I know. I'm you ready know to I mean? go. I'm ready to go. And the other thing, too, for, for all those that want to make mention of age, 
Well, if you want to start getting rid of uh, the 65s and ups, then get ready to clear out the coaching staff, or at least about 80% of them in the NFL, NCAA. You know, I don't really think age is limiting when it comes to coaching. I really don't. I mean, I would have hate to have gone up to Joe Paterno as soon as he turned 65 or Paul Bear Bryant or any other coaches I can think of with that knowledge that they have as long as they're modern thinking. And uh, you just heard uh, Jerry talk. I, I think that he's in his mind as young as he wants to be. So uh, as much as I know that uh, people tend to roll their eyes when they see the average age on a coaching staff is like 70-something, and to a degree it's not heavily uh, experienced in the CFL, but I think it's the guy that's willing to learn that makes it happen. Sure, Wally Bono, Canadian. But you start going down the list, Michael Shea's done a good job. But, but you've got like like thousands of years of coaching on that sideline with Hamilton. But I think the players have the right attitude. I know the ownership has the right attitude. And if you're a Ticat fan, if you're the Box J boys, if you're our buddy Jarrett, I think you're going to have a good season. In fact, I think the East period, I mean, there's been some acquisitions that uh, Ottawa has made. They had some injuries last year. Ottawa's going to be way better. That, that was a year forgotten, as far as I'm concerned, for the Red Blacks. Toronto's going to be good again. Yep. Toronto will be good again. And I think if I'm taking a look, I mean, Montreal, Montreal's yep. a coin flip. I'm unsure about how much better they're going to be. They will be better than they were last year. Well, they got a brand-new head yeah. coach. they got a brand-new quarterback, or at least the hope of it. So you look at the East, and, and I think the East is wide open. And I think it's, it's there for the taking. And I think... A lot of clubs that are starting to put together, and, and Jerry talked about coming up to Hamilton next week to start meeting with the coaches and, and organize a little bit before the actual spring camp and before the actual training camp. Uh, every single coaching staff in the East is probably sitting there next week going, you know what, we have a chance to win this division. And that's that's throughout. That's how competitive the East will be this year. I look forward to it. And like I said, I... I this is this is our this is our, our our quiet period because there's no football. The NFL's over. The CFL hasn't started yet. I mean, give me give me that attachment to something coming up. And May long weekend is when they finally get the pads on and everything happens for real. So uh, I, I can't I can't wait. Well, uh, taking a look at the uh, schedule. So for the Tie Cats, it's a tough one. You're going to start off uh, in Calgary, and Calgary has enough pressure on them. I mean, my God. Doesn't matter what marketing campaign they put out there. Oh, we'll get them this time. <laughs> That's an angry fan base in Calgary. That's not a very good marketing no. uh, slogan either. Why you stuff like that <laughs> won't work. But Hamilton's got to start in Calgary, which historically, not the favorite place to play. Then you got to go up to skanky Edmonton. They, by the way, host obviously the Grey Cup this year. That's a tough. That's a, a that's tough big start. Time. Yeah, Alberta, Alberta, back to back on the road. Then they open up, I believe, against the Bombers. They open up against the Bombers. That's right. They open up against the Bombers on, on a Friday night. I, I believe it's a Friday night. I'm trying to remember, but uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's you know three three Western opponents that uh, are, are playoff teams last season, and uh, Hamilton wants to finish you know two and one at worst kind of thing. Yeah, well, you're gonna have to get that jump. By the way, when you're playing music before the before the game starts in your headphones. This is why we listen. This is to. it. Oh, yeah. I <laughs> freak. Like, total freak. Uh, by the way, he did mention uh, special teams, which I thought was uh, interesting because I think it's going to be done by committee. June Jones has done this before. 
Okay. Where they don't have a, a single guy they're gonna they're gonna talk about it quite a bit. But uh, yeah, we're ready for it. It was it was great having Jerry on, you know, and he's got a ton of stories. Those were that's oh, a fraction of we could have talked, talked about. We could have talked to Jerry Jones for uh, sorry Jerry Glanville for about four hours. Oh yeah, you know like we we never touched on Brett Favre and 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 the relationship there. We never talked about his high school teammate Jim Leland. Yeah, that's weird, eh? So that is weird. Jim it's Leland, like, him are high school uh, 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 buddies. Yeah, and it's like one becomes a, a Hall of Fame football coach, the other one becomes a Hall of Fame baseball coach, and it's like yeah, we 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 hung out in high school. So it's uh, man, it's. Uh, Jerry Glanville was uh, was awesome. He, he he lived up to expectation, and I I had pretty high hopes for uh, a solid solid interview. And uh, well done. I'm going to go back to something. Uh, Russell, find the uh, the Colt Brennan uh, University of Hawaii uh, th- that I know we ran underneath when they got together. So this is Mouse Davis, this is, uh, June Jones, and and Jerry Glanville. This is uh, 2005 2006. Uh, Colt Brennan was 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 the star. Now a lot of people want to brush over it simply because of who they play, but. Uh, I still think, you know, even though you know, it was a year later, they go in, they play in the Sugar Bowl, they get blown out by Georgia, but teams do get blown out in bowl games. I just think it's it's about the kind of program, the kind of teams you play. And I think at this point, they were the – I think they weren't Mountain West at this point. I think they might have still been uh, whack. And so they go to uh, the, the – actually, it's a home game because they play the, the Sheridan uh, Honolulu Bowl is, is what it's become. But there was no question the way that that came together, which in essence – if you're talking about those kinds of uh, spread offenses, if you're talking about run and shoot with Mouse Davis, well, that's that's what the that's what the CFL is built on. Those kinds of 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 logistics, those schemes, is what it's built on. And going back, this is uh, I guess property of the NCAA, probably uh, I don't know, maybe even ESPN. But just take a look. This is why this team was so much fun to watch on a school that you're never going to see. You have to remember, for the most part, if you if you're a uh, well now Warriors, but if you were a Rainbow Warrior fan, yes, those game start times are the next day. It's like one o'clock in the morning. If you're really going to watch these games, if you want to stay up on the on the computer, so Hawaii for the most part never gets seen. And again, people can pick away at what the competition is in that conference, but there's no question, man, was this entertaining. And Colt Brennan, for what it's worth, man, could he throw a ball? Uh, threw for five touchdowns in this game. Now trailing by seven points. Arizona State, conversely, looking for its third consecutive bowl victory. This the last game coached by Dirk Cutter, the head coach. Second and 16. Has a man wide open, and I mean wide open. Touchdown. It doesn't come any easier for Rivers. This was a fun team to watch. Really was. I'm sure they won't mind seeing that in Hamilton. And with that... Colt Brennan ties the record for touchdown passes in a season with 54. 54. Quickly when Brennan's behind center. First down and goal from the seven-yard line. What a nice catch that time by Bryce Mullins. Now, again, it's kind of tough. We just had Jerry on. We didn't see much of his defense, but it's kind of hard to – there's not a lot of highlights to show the defense. But uh, they rolled in that game. What was it, 41-10? Was that the final? They were down 10-3, but I think eventually they go on to win like 41-10. But that's what they're trying to build. That's what they're trying to emulate, that kind of uh, magic. Now, Jeremiah Masoli, I mean, again, this is college. Clock's different, field's different. 
But I think Jeremiah uh, Masoli played with as much confidence as anyone down the road. I think they feel very good about going into the season. The one thing I'm going to be really interested in is Zach Claros. Yes, yeah, in Saskatchewan. You know, that is just, to me, such an upgrade they've got. I know that was, a, that, was, that was a tough season for him, and I think even as a fan, it was hard to see him go through what he's got. But I'm telling you right now, Zach Kolaris can play. I mean, you go all the way back to the University of Cincinnati uh, when, when, when he stepped in, and just this kind of uh, poise that he has, the guy can play. And I think if you're a Ryder fan, you've got to be happy with what you have in the offensive backfield. So I look forward to the season starting once again. It just seems like, uh, you know, as we look outside the window, look how garbage it looks. Trees look dead. It's where's coming. The, Spring is coming soon. Where's Buddy who gets all the good cigarettes? Where's I don't the. Know. And by the way, he has a Harvard hoodie on. Do you think he really went to that school? Because I got to be honest. I <laughs> unless cigarette hunting was a doctorate, uh, I'm not seeing it. Friends. Yep. Oh yeah. You want to go do karate in the garage? Yep. Absolutely. It's time. Would like to thank the legendary coach Jerry Glanville, now the defensive coordinator for the Hamilton Tiger Cats. I'm sure him and Coach O will have, be having a lot of long talks into the night trying to get this thing organized. As Jerry says, the first three days watching Canadian football, he couldn't even recognize. Nor did he think he could coach in this league, period. Let's get Look forward to it. Tomorrow we'll have some picks and get ready for uh, Selection Sunday, by That's the way. That's right, coming up N- Sunday night. NCAA. Oh, I can smell the gambling from here. Dig them. And it smells yummy. Gambling. 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 Oh.